You know, cybercrime is a ten and a half trillion dollar problem. They will come through. And so when they do get through, what is that last line of defense? You just, you know, warm up and yeah. just talk and uh but we already know each other, so <laughs> we do. Yeah, for how many years now? It's probably approaching ten years. At least, yeah. So uh, Jonathan and I worked together in Los Angeles on a case uh, that we can't, cannot talk about. Yeah, that's right. We can't talk about. But it does take us back to Japan. Yes. So there was that connection. Yes. So we're in Tokyo right now. At that, Once again, I'm at the Mandarin Oriental. You, you get to stay at nice places, don't you? <laughs> you live at the Mandarin Oriental? Well, I, I, I have an office here. Right? Uh, okay. Yeah. I just have a tab. <laughs> kind of like those... Uh, I feel like Frank Sinatra at in Las Vegas or something. They just, you know, yeah, they know everybody knows my name. Just, <laughs> uh, yeah, they think I stay here. No, but uh, you're staying here, and I, I interviewed Chris at the same place. Uh, beautiful view, but yeah. we have a night view now, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful. But um, yeah, we met. We were working on a case together, uh, doing legal work. And I remember sitting in the boardroom one time and you said, I'm thinking of starting a company, guys. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, that's, you, that's how conversations start, right? Yep. In, the, in that proverbial water cooler conversation. Mm-hmm. What if? What if? Yeah. Yep. And then I think that's where it started. Yep. They say, well, what if? And well, we should one day do this. And mm-hmm. I couldn't just sit and just stay there with yeah. what ifs. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of applications and failures. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, we can. That takes us back. Yeah, yeah. Why? Wow. And then uh, you, I remember coming to Japan, mm-hmm. but before that, I, we were talking, and you said, "Do you know anybody who wants to go to Japan?" And I said, "Yeah, me." <laughs> and you said, "No, I need you in LA." <laughs> I was like, "No, no, I want to go to Japan." And then finally, I think it was May 6th, 2014. And I remember because May 7th is my birthday. Oh, okay. And you called me up and said, hey, can you go to Japan? I was like, uh, yeah. So that night I got my ticket. The next day I was in Tokyo. It was within 24 hours. Yep. I was there. And I think I landed at 9 p.m. Or no, no. Got to the hotel at 9 p.m., fell asleep, woke up the next day and went to work. Wow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember that. I didn't get to go. I, I think mm. I sent a team. You did. You sent a team of us from, and I think we had somebody remote in China or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. For a short time. Yeah. She didn't yeah. last. I don't know. Was, I don't remember. Yeah. It didn't last that long. Yeah. But I do uh, remember that. The wow. team, I think it was going to be, first it was like three months and then it turned out to be two weeks. And then they said, wait, we got more work. And I was motivated to stay in Japan. So. <laughs> And you haven't left since then. Nope. I mean, I, I've left I mean, the country, but I... But that, that, that was a... From re, that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. May 2014, wow. I've, I've been here ever since. So I feel kind of responsible for you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I feel kind of grateful to, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was grateful that you came. I was happy yeah, yeah. because that was one of our first large contract that we landed. Mm-hmm. And that was the business that a few years before that yep. we were thinking about and that talking was, about. That was the water cooler conversation that came to life. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And then it became a project in Tokyo, which 
completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. So because those those days we would get into the office at five thirty a.m. Yeah, you remember that? Mm-hmm. I had a house. I had a a studio in downtown L.A. Mm. in Skid Row, <laughs> and I would would I did I walk to work? I had to walk to work. Yeah, I walked to okay. work at I think it was five a.m. Down Skid Row. I mean, how else would I have gotten? I don't. I didn't have a car. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, how did I end up at the office? Maybe I was like two or three blocks away. Okay, I can't remember, but I knew I walked. Yeah, I remember walking, but for some reason I felt safe. And this was you know, almost this is what 2012, 2013. I think something like that. Yeah, long so, before it, 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 LA's changed. Yeah, I think so. downtown LA is much different. Mm-hmm. And I remember wow. going down Angel's Flight, mm-hmm. and we would go down to the juice place. Oh yeah, that's right. And get a juice, and and I knew nothing about nutrition, so I would just say, "Just give me whatever he's having." <laughs> <laughs> the goddess of greens. Yes, that was a great place. <laughs> great place. Yeah, that was fun. That was our our lunch, our liquid lunch, because mm-hmm. yeah, we would start the morning at five thirty, and we would. I think we worked. We must have billed 12, 13 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I think 12 was probably the max. Right? I think it was max, they say yeah. we, Once we hit 12 or more in California, you start to hit double time or something like yep. that. Yep. And so I know they told us, do not go more than 12 hours. Yep. But they authorized us for 60 hours a week. So we'd go Monday through Friday. Yeah. And we'd get our 60 hours. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, it that was. that... That really helped me understand the marketplace uh, and the company that eventually was started yeah. you know, a few years after that. That experience was so pivotal mm-hmm. because I really got to understand that space much yep. more differently than just coming up with an idea. But I truly mm-hmm. was on the front lines of that type yep. of legal outsourcing work that mm-hmm. we were doing. And we were in the trenches. Yeah, we, we, were. Were, we were going through documents in Japanese. Yeah, that's right. And working on disputes, and then, and then I remember going back to California, um, probably 2014, mm-hmm. and uh, working 100-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. We really went. We really um, not with each other, but with the uh, the documents and the document universe and the op- opposing counsel. We really went to war. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100-hour weeks. I remember being on the phone with you for several hours a day because I, I think I was the PM on that project we were working on. Oh, yeah, that yep. one. That's right. That I do a, remember a that one. Dispute. Oh, my goodness. You know, that, that was interesting. That entire project, if you uh-huh. will, that entire war room mm-hmm. situation that we were managing mm. was probably one of the first remote environments. Remember, I think everybody yes. worked remotely. I worked in an apartment in uh, Palos Verdes. Yeah, that's yep. right. And we had teams all over the mm-hmm. world. Yep. And this is, you know, we're here in 2023, and so it seems almost commonplace that yeah. working remotely doesn't seem to mean yep. anything to most people listening to this. Mm-hmm. But remember, this is 2015, maybe? 14? 2014. That is right. I forgot yep. about that. I remember we co-project managed that. Mm-hmm. And we had effectively teams around the clock. We had mm-hmm. an eight-hour shift, three across, mm-hmm. eight, 16, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And as a project manager, me and you, and I think there was a third person, Rem. Yeah, Rem. 
Oh, he's a us he's a stud. three. Yeah. yeah, he's here in Tokyo right now too. Okay. He, you, and myself uh-huh. worked three shifts across twenty four hours. Yep. And I remember we would hand it off at mm-hmm. you know, hour A, and then we would take over, and we would yep. just be on round the clock. Yep. And um, hundred hour weeks. I mean, we were really going to war. And that was that was fun. That was a good bonding experience. Yeah. And you really get to see who you're working with because after 100 hours, you can't fake who you are, you know? But as we got more and more delirious, we had more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we got a lot done. We, we turned out a really good project, so that was great. Oh, that, that's bringing back memories. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of good memories. Oh, definitely. Oh, I, I. And I remember the project was over, so we thought. Mm-hmm. So I went to dinner. I was at Cheesecake Factory in Santa Monica, and you called me. <laughs> Are you at your computer? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I can be in about an hour. <laughs> so I hurried up and scarfed down my dinner. You know, paid the check and got in the car and cruised back to the apartment. Mm-hmm. I was I was at a, like an Airbnb type thing. Went back, turned on the computer, and had more work to do because I thought we were done. So did I. And then we worked through the night. And then Sunday night, it was a Saturday. Sunday night, I had a flight back to Tokyo. And uh, I worked until an hour before the flight and had a car pick me up and take me to the airport. And um, came back to Tokyo. But I think we we tied it off an hour before I left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Really good times. Really, man, a lot of good. I'm glad we had this conversation because like so many good memories, you know, working mm. together. I haven't thought about those cases in a number of years until you just brought it up now. Right. I, well, well, you're working on so much cool stuff now. Yeah, the, I, what, yeah. It was cool then too. Yeah. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Good time. A lot of good people. And, you, and one of the things, so we should explain what you're doing without going into details was like legal services outsourcing. Right? Yeah. Is that the best way to describe it? Yeah, I think that's the best way. I okay. always talk to people who are outside of the industry. Mm-hmm. Think of it as legal outsourcing. Okay. We can do this, this meaning the, the legal services faster, better, and cheaper mm-hmm. than a traditional large law firm. Mm-hmm. And we work under their supervision, mm-hmm. but we can do it, as I said, faster, cheaper, and better. And so we get outsourced mm. tasks where we have to review and analyze, code, tag, summarize, translate mm. documents mm-hmm. that are in preparation for some type of large investigation, mm. a M&A transaction where we have to do due diligence, mm. a internal audit where they have mm-hmm. to review documents. There's a lot of large cases that mm. require evidence to have to be analyzed. Yep. There's a use of technology mm-hmm. and the machines that are getting much better and precise. Yep. But as we both know, in legal, you have to be very precision-oriented. Mm-hmm. And so law firms or you know, our various different customers around the mm-hmm. world, they need to have partners mm-hmm. that know how to do this well and do this in different languages. Yeah, that's... that's the- think that's the the key portion yeah because you can do this in english it takes a good amount of 
effort and attention to detail. Mm. But can you also do this in Japanese or Chinese? Chinese Korean. Or Korean. Yeah, and you've had Spanish language projects as well, right? Yeah, so. we've had Thai language and a whole host of different types of cases that we've built out in this industry by building a, a niche mm-hmm. as the experts in this and mm-hmm. then building an entire business model around that. So it's been great. And it's fascinating to think about how this happened. You know, we, we were on the front lines doing the work. And what I realized is when I was doing the work, we were talking about all these hours that we're spending, you know, 20 hours a day working, or 12 hours, or however number of hours. Is, how many hours is there in a single week? I forgot yeah. the number, 160, 70. Yeah, I don't know. It's it more, more than, I think it's 12 times 7, yeah. whatever that number comes out to. Oh, yeah. My yeah. math is so bad. That's why I went to law school, because I'm bad at math. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and that... Somebody's probably yelling at their, at their phone right now. It's like it's... Oh, they have an answer. I, okay. 168. <laughs> it should be, yes, that's right. You got it right. Right? Yeah. Okay. I used to be pretty good at math in my head, mm-hmm. Yeah, until I got a smartphone. But that was the problem, 168 hours in a week. And if you think about that, can you work 168 hours? You could. Let's say you, you did. And you got compensated for each of those hours. And but you would exhaust yourself. It's really too much that you need to put your body through to do that. And you wouldn't want to do that. And so when, when I look at the work that we were doing, as, as gray of a bonding experience it was, it also helped me understand, like, how do I scale this? Yeah. How do I make this work where I can remove myself from that 168 hours and instead be more strategic and scaled? And, and then that really became the basis of a lot of the businesses that we ended up starting and investing in and growing over the last 10 years since I started those projects with you, you know, almost a decade ago. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's amazing, the, that trajectory. Yeah, yeah. But you, you've always been more of an entrepreneur than a, a, an hourly wage earner, right? Yeah, I have. And I've worked for a lot of different institutions and various capacities of my life in the past. I was a speechwriter oh, wow. in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you knew that. No. No, you didn't? Okay, that's another whole conversation. Yeah, wow. one of my first jobs out of college I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was in my early 20s, and my first job was as a legislative aide for a member of Congress, and I I did just whatever they wanted me to do, and oftentimes it was preparing speeches, Okay. stump speeches, you know, one-minute statements on the House floor, they're going to go meet with this constituent. So I would do all the advanced work, do the research. So I still, if you go and I don't know if you still can do this today, but I know if you go into the, I forgot what the database is in the Library of Congress and you search the member that I worked for and and kind of narrow it down to the year that I was there. Some of my speeches, I mean, it's not my speeches because it's not under my name, but I, I know and I remember what I wrote. Wow. And I can find them. And I said, those are my words. That's cool. So, yeah, I have speeches that I've prepared for mm-hmm. this member. But that was my first professional job post-undergrad. Wow. 
in Washington D.C. Writing a, speeches. Writing speeches. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't officially a speech writer. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't my title. As I mentioned, it was like a legislative aide, or I think it was called okay. an L.A. For people who who know that world in Capitol yeah. Hill, I was an L.A. Not mm. L.A. But yeah. an L.A. legislative LA, yeah. aide or something like. That. I don't think that's what it was. Legislative analyst or something. Okay. And yeah, we we were paid very little. I think my how much I think I took home like. I don't know, $22,000 a year, less than 30. It was very, very minimal. How do you live on that? I, but I enjoyed it. Mm. I had a great time. I, I had a wonderful time, actually. I, bet, I think yeah. back of my early 20s in Washington, D.C., working mm. in the Capitol. It was fantastic. I enjoyed that very much. Mm. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you didn't know that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, wow. So then you start the legal outsourcing company and then um, now cybersecurity. Yeah, cybersecurity. And that's fascinating wow. because, I mean, everybody's online. Everybody's got a, you know, and then everybody's got uh, IoT devices in their house and, and they don't know where the information's going, where it's being stored, what it's being used for. Uh, they don't know the risks. I mean, uh, I've heard it your events. Most people set up their webcam or something, and they don't even change the default password that comes with the the product. Yeah, right. And most people, Chris and I had a conversation the other day, where most people don't even read the terms of service when they sign up for a a health app on their phone. And so, you've seen um, a need in the market, and risen to the occasion to meet that and it's it's a very unique solution and very exciting and so tell me more you know cyber crime is a 10 and a half trillion dollar problem trillion, trillion with, a t. with a t and that's and and i'm bad at economics and numbers what's the what's the gdp of america i think it's about 20 trillion yeah so we're we're like the the gdp of japan maybe yeah <laughs> somebody's gonna look it up and tell me i'm wrong but that's okay yeah we might be wrong a few trillion dollars <laughs> sure. but just just a rounding error <laughs> <laughs> but it's undeniable that cybercrime has yeah. a 10 and a half trillion dollar devastating impact globally oh. so if you look at that and you think about what does that really mean? Like, it's such a large number yeah. that you were mentioning. We're all connected. Yeah. I mean, just kind of look at that more closely. Like, how many connected devices do we have? Can we actually get away from something that's not connected? Mm. And if you think about, and the way I like to think about cybersecurity is, and especially with education, is mm-hmm. you would never give a person the keys to a vehicle mm. without giving them proper education about the safety features of how to drive that vehicle Mm. driver's education yep and so what's happened in the cybersecurity field because technology has advanced so rapidly is that we didn't have time to give the proper education Uh. for all the people who now are using all this technology so user education is so minimal that we're shipping all these products mm. and they're building it and designing it without security as a feature. And so people are getting all these great pieces of equipment, mm. technology. 
they're connecting their refrigerators. Mm -hmm. They have webcams and everything. Mm. You have diapers that are connected. I don't know if you heard of that. No. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, a lot of it has to do with monitoring and being able yeah. to have that insight. But, but really, what yeah. does that say? Like, we 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 don't we don't give the proper education that comes with the responsibility of uh, these types of devices that are now in yeah. our hands, in our children's hands, and people's who yeah. who otherwise don't know how one not only is do they not know how to properly use it. You were mentioning about certain safety default features. Mm-hmm. No one's looking at that. And so what does that mean from the cyber criminal opportunistic perspective? Well, Whoa. that's the 10 and a half trillion Wide that open. we're talking about. Like there's yeah. so much information that's being collected. Yeah. Totally unbeknownst to the person. You know, wow. it typically takes something like 200 days before a company realizes that there's an intrusion. So if someone breached its network and it's sitting there listening to conversations, lateraling through the network, yeah, you know, looking at Tracy's emails, who he's corresponding to, and they're watching and they're sort of saying, okay, I see patterns that Tracy's doing here. Uh, ah, interesting. And I'm going to intervene just at the right time because I know what he's doing. He's sending email here at this time. He has these kind of communication channels and patterns. And yeah. They're, they're, they're sitting just collecting intelligence. That is scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I knew this was going to be a scary conversation, but a conversation we need to have. Yeah. Well, if people want to listen to it, interesting, there's a thing called the Dark Net Diaries. I don't know if you've ever Ooh, listened to that podcast. No. It's really good. Yeah. I, I don't want... My thing is, my cyber is not to go down that path. And it's really about informing and educating. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love to start businesses that are mm. solving gaps in the market mm. that are economically opportunistic. You know, mm-hmm. we can grow as a business and be yeah, successful. Yeah. And it's worth doing. And it's worth doing. And it's also solving a good problem that we need mm-hmm. to solve, mm-hmm. which is literacy and basic awareness of cyber education and risk around that. Whether that's a family unit or a company yeah well i mean you see people um i'm at a starbucks and uh the mom and dad are talking and they give the kid an ipad or a phone and the dad will just give him his phone oh yeah and the, the kid plays with the phone and you and heck you know what you don't you never know where the kid's gonna end up mm-hmm. right i mean they could hit the banking app and send money to somebody or they could uh, open up a browser and see something that nobody should see yeah right uh, think of that what you may you know violent or nasty or something and mm-hmm. then that that kid doesn't have any training mm-hmm. on what to do like okay first of all what to do if you open up the wrong site or what to do if somebody mm-hmm. you know the dad has no training on what to do if somebody says hey you you need to reset your password and they click on that link and think oh no no, no. i get these frequently uh you're payment failed please enter your credit card number i get those all the time text messages sms emails i just delete them oh you should yeah yeah i mean you know sometimes it's interesting because sometimes those are legitimate Mm. and you have to think about that like these companies Mm -hmm. to their defense it's challenging because sometimes there there is a need to have to request their customer yep. to reset a password. Mm-hmm. But 
how are they going to ask? Mm. Are they going to send them a text message? Are they going to call them? Are they going to send them an email? Yeah. And it's challenging because, and actually there is, that's a trick question because mm. the right way to respond, mm-hmm. so I'll put you on the spot. Okay. So you get a message like that mm-hmm. and it says, Tracy, your account has reset. Mm-hmm. So please contact and click this link mm-hmm. and make, and please reset the password yeah. or contact. What do you do? Do you? Okay. So this happened recently. I forget if it was, uh, uh, let's just use Amazon as an example. Mm-hmm. Get a message that says your Amazon account has been locked. Well, I don't click on the link in the email. I go to the website and log in. Oh, okay. No problem. Right. I'm not locked out. Or my bank. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. It, it's my bank. Or the, what if they call you? They say, Tracy, I, you know, they, they yeah. initiate the conversation. Okay. They're calling you and you pick up the phone. Ah, that's a good one. Um, I would say, let me call you back. You're very good. You must have been taking some of our security training. <laughs> we, I'm, I'm cheating. I have the cheat codes. We've had this. <laughs> However, what is frightening, and this happened to me on Thanksgiving one year, um, my bank called me and since somebody is in Atlanta or Tampa, Florida, using your debit card. I said, well, that can't be. I just used it at the Kroger in Michigan. They said, well, you just bought $900 worth of electronics in Walmart in Tampa, Florida, too. <laughs> I said, well, there's, there's no way I could be in two places at once like that. And they said, well, okay. It turned out okay. But I said, is there a number I can call you back? And I pulled out my debit card, and she read me the exact number to call back. And I was like, okay. I'm sorry, I, I have to call you back. And I did. And I didn't get the same operator. And, uh, but I got a different person. I said, I got a phone call, and, and here's what's going on. And they, you know, click, click. You can hear the, you know, pitter-patter on the keyboard, and they come up. Oh, Mr. Greenwood, your account. Yeah. Have you been to Tampa, Florida recently? I'm like, okay. It was a legit phone call. But um, I'm sure if it hadn't been, they would say, well, we didn't call you. There's no notes. So that I, I always offer to call back. So you, you got it right. Yep. I mean, that's, you know, what's interesting about that is that you, you know that the right protocol is to mm-hmm. slow down. Yes. It's always calm down. Mm. Think about that because what happens here is that the focus is urgency. They yes. want you to, to react emotionally. Yep. And mm. it's usually, it's an emotional attack. Yeah. You know, social engineering yep. is always about getting people at that moment. Mm. And so a lot of times from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. it slows down transactions because people are in a hurry in the course of their day. Yeah. You know, let's say you're working, you have all these different things that you need to do. You're getting a flurry of emails. Yep. And a lot of them are making requests and you're having mm-hmm. to go through it very quickly. And so what ends up happening is what you're telling me is you have to slow down and say, hold on, I'm going to hang up the phone and I'm going to go and call you back again. And imagine yep. the transactional cost there. Like that's yep. going to slow you down. It might add like two or three extra minutes. Mm-hmm. Do you really, you're doing all these things. And imagine in the context of the work environment. 
do you want to do that? Like, say, actually, I'm going to call you back. Mm-hmm. And the person's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's me. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. And it's no, 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 I'm going to slow down. And so yeah. a lot of what happens is the speed of what's happening today with technology is so fast. Mm-hmm. And what really what we're asking people to do is slow down. Mm-hmm. It's going to make things slightly slower. But it's going to make things safer. Because mm. with all these things that are connected, it's all about convenience. Right? We have mm. all these things. But remember, go back 10, 15 years ago. Yep. We were fine without all these. Oh, yeah. We were just fine. We were fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. We were. We got along great. I mean, um, without a, an internet connected TV, mm-hmm. I could still watch movies. I could go to the movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, could go to a football game. Uh, could you know do whatever? I could watch TV, and um, life moved on. Mm-hmm. And, and we'd go shopping. We'd do our thing and uh, go on trips. Yeah, we connected. Now we think about that. What does that mean? Uh, like we connected with each other. Yeah. And now when people say, "Are you connected?" That's uh, different. Like think about even the semantically like what that means how it's understood when you say hey tracy we connected it's like Uh, what do you mean connected like connected in what way like through the network uh, it's interesting through the matrix yeah (laughs) i've really pulled back on social media yeah for for this podcast i i post and ghost Mm -hmm. that was joe rogan's uh advice oh yep uh you go online you say i've got a new episode with jonathan rossi and uh, here's a link. <laughs> and don't read comments mm-hmm. about yourself. And that's, I'm, I'm yeah. Turn, do you turn off advice. the comments? I know, because uh, I, I want the user engagement. I'm, oh, okay. you know, I'm doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this podcast. Um, and then I, I tell people to engage on social media through the links in the show notes, you know. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I, I want to get engagement. But... Um, the right type of engagement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you can turn off comments. You can also mute uh, users as well. So I see. I haven't had to. I've, everybody's been positive so far, especially mm-hmm. the YouTube. You know, I'm doing an informational, doing informational videos on life in Japan. You know, like uh, I've seen some of them. Those are good. They're fun. You said yeah. the the what was it? The podcasters that you should know. The top yep. ten. Mm-hmm. Podcast top ten uh, YouTubers you should yeah. know in Japan, yeah, right. And which, which for a lot of people, these are unknown. Yeah, yeah. Because when you don't speak or read Japanese, which you do, huh. you get to open up a whole new world. Yep. Like you can read the Japanese newspaper, mm-hmm. you can watch Japanese comedy. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of things that a lot of people don't do. Yep. And it opens up or a whole can't new do, world. can't do, not lot, don't do. Just, well, they, they cannot do, yeah, yeah. And, and it's so funny because after doing this, sort of, I mean, I first came in 1990 mm-hmm. to Tokyo, to Japan, and um, now Japanese comes second nature to me, and I forget that it's hard work to learn, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, this is a cer- I've learned that a lot of people who are here who are not native Japanese, mm-hmm. there's a certain plateau yep. that they experience in language acquisition mm-hmm. that after a few years and they can stay here for many years Mm -hmm. they realize that they're not going to truly become fluent enough Uh, and maybe maybe 
maybe you have some insight into this is they get to this plateau linguistically yeah and they just sort of like throw their hands up and say forget it i'm just i'm not going to try to learn anymore yeah because the common response from people even if you do have a good command of japanese Mm -hmm. tends to be you speak Japanese. It's oh, so good. You're so good. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to go through that experience each time. Every and I'm day. sure you have to go through that every day every living day. here. Yeah. But you have to do it with a smile. Yep. And say, yeah, thank you. Like yep. as if it's the first time. It's almost some ways kind of like being a celebrity. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I th- it's, it's funny because um, it it is exactly like that, yeah. Not that I I know. I'm no, no. I'm, I'm just we're just normal guys. We're just normal I'm just guys. Just thinking, yeah. <laughs> but you have to. It's like when you have friends visiting Japan, yeah, and you have to take them to the Tokyo Tower. Yep. You go to Asakusa, the mm-hmm. usual places, and yep. you have to go there like as if it's your first time. Yeah, right. And explain it to them like, okay, this, this, uh, like I did a video on. Um, um, the gate at uh, Zojoji, mm-hmm. one of my favorite places to go. And I have to explain, okay, this gate was built in 1622. That means it's 400 years old now, you know, and it was built with a, a grant from the Tokunawa Shogunate, you know, and, and I had to learn Japanese history because I'm, I was a, probably the worst tour guide. Um, and people would ask me like, oh, who, who built this and why did they build it? And what's the difference between a temple and a shrine? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I haven't even climbed Mount Fuji. I've been here since 1990 on and off. I haven't even climbed Mount Fuji. You know, I've been to Hokkaido once. I've been to Osaka once. Never been to Okinawa. Oh. Yeah. And so <laughs> I spent all my time in Kanto, which is the eastern region of Japan, uh, in, around Tokyo, Yokohama. And uh, a lot of that is because uh, work keeps me busy. You know, thank you. <laughs> uh, work keeps me busy. And also, you know, because of just, you know, personal, everybody I know is around here, you know. So, mm-hmm. but um, I've seen people who come here and travel around Japan and do more than I've done. You know, they'll, they'll take the bullet train all over the place. They'll um, uh, climb Mount Fuji. They'll go to Akihabara. They go to the robot cafe. It's like, wow, you can do all that stuff? Like, and then they'll go to an onsen, a, a hot spring, you know, and go to Nara and see the deer. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> so I'm a really bad tour guide because I haven't done all that stuff and I've spent all my time around here. Yeah. Maybe I should get around and do more, you know? Yeah. So anyway, but um, um, so back to the cybersecurity uh, thing. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. You know, the, it, all these IoT devices, Internet of Things, right? Mm-hmm. Internet of everything, uh, Web3, yep. whole thing is changing, mm-hmm. shifting. And I saw that as your good old capitalist, opportunistically. Mm-hmm. I said, my goodness, this is changing the face of the world. And here we are in Japan, the third largest economy in the world. But so, okureteru. Behind. Behind. Or- Which is ironic because everybody from outside thinks the opposite. They think Japan yeah. is so advanced and they're so technologically progressive. Yep. There is that element, but actually they're not also. It's a fascinating yep. country in well, so many it's ways. crazy because if you look at, you know, and I, I, I'm a couple years older than you, but um, not that that's a big deal, but I remember when Sony dominated the market, right? And it was unthinkable that an American 
company that makes phones would dominate the market like iPhone, like Apple. Mm -hmm. It was unthinkable. And I thought when cell phones became a thing, uh, Motorola was very big, by the way. Mm -hmm. Motorola was huge. They had the, the flip phone and then they had the Razor and all this, right? Um, but uh, uh, Ericsson, Sony Ericsson had a great phone, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody thought that a company like Apple would be dominating the market. And so from, from my um, demographic, my age, we remember when Sony dominated the market and Toyota and then Lexus. You look at those vehicles and they're so advanced and they're so good. And I, I, I drove a Lexus when I was in LA. I absolutely love that car. And um, it was so well built and fast and, and uh, so reliable and all that. And then, um, so we, we, there is a tendency to think that Japan is advanced. And yet the technology is, the, the cars are amazing. The um, medical technology and pharmaceutical mm -hmm. um, uh, industry is, is really advanced. But when you get into the office environment and people are still sending faxes and, and all that, and it's, it's like there's a, a cognitive dissonance that happens when you're here and you go to the bank and the ATM is closed at 3 p.m. And you're like, wait a second. Uh, it, what? <laughs> you know? And then you, you go to the city office to get a paper and you need to pull out your little seal and stamp the, oops, hit the table. Um, you have to stamp the paper with this red ink. And then, but they're also making Lexus and they're also making, you know, precision instruments. And, mm -hmm. and, but you're also doing a lot of stuff on paper. And I, I think in some ways that um, has helped with slowing down cybercrime because if you, gotta, if you need to authorize an expense, you have to go through 10 people and also the language barrier. Mm -hmm. But Ooh, there's well. a huge thing, and I'm, I'm sorry, um, uh, the telephone scams. Mm -hmm. One is called Ore Ore Sagi. Somebody calls and says, Mom, it's me. I crashed the company car and I need $5,000 right now or I'm going to get fired. And can you, not to my account, can you, can you um, transfer it to the company's account? Here it is. And, and all they say is, it's me, Mom, it's me, it's me. Yeah. I need money right now or I'm going to get fired. My life is over. And then this middle-aged woman is thinking, I, I gave birth to this kid. I fed this kid. I sent him to... Elementary school, junior high school, high school, university, mm -hmm. and all this stuff, and he's going to get fired. Yeah. And she sends five thousand dollars, goes to the bank, sends five thousand dollars, and that money is gone. And there's, the, you know, they prey on the elderly. They prey on, and it's always this urgency. There are a lot of really unique scams that happen in Japan that I don't know if you could get away with in America because it's they'll use they have phone banks of people doing this and for a country that is so honest i left my wallet in a phone booth had three thousand dollars in it a phone booth here in, in, japan. in japan yeah i left my wallet in a phone booth i i had just got paid my employer paid cash and then i had to go to the bank and deposit it but i couldn't go that day because it was already past three o'clock <laughs> but i 
you would use these phone cards, magnetic phone cards. So I put my wallet on top of the phone, took out the phone card, made a phone call, and the train was coming. So I ran to the train. And when I went to buy a ticket, I realized I didn't have my wallet. And I had just got paid, and $3,000 is gone. I was convinced. And so I run back to the phone booth. It's gone. And I'm devastated. I, I go back upstairs and, and I, to the train master. He looks at me kind of funny. I said, yeah, my wallet. He goes, what's your name? And I told him. He said, oh. And he, he's looking at this ID. Is this you? Some high school girls had turned it in. <laughs> they saw it and they're like, oh, there's a wallet. And I don't even think they opened it up. But for a country that is so honest, they had $3,000 in cash. Imagine in 1990 what two high school kids could have done with $3,000 cash. They turned it in. And they had no idea who I was. But there's these telephone scams, the Oriorisagi, the, um, the other things, you know. Uh, so, Yeah, there's so many. Yeah. And what we've done is we've collected an inventory mm. of different types of schemes and mm. that attack elderly, mm. that attack all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of them out there. There's yeah. many of them using today's technology to become more precise. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, they wouldn't attack Japanese because they don't have a good command of the Japanese language. But that's changing with chat GPT. And so yes. the entire landscape is shifting. Mm-hmm. And when you were saying it's actually positive that Japan might be a little backwards in some areas. Yeah. You know, the fax machine, the, the non-technical or analog mm-hmm. aspects of life actually is a, an impediment for security yeah. to thrive. Well, I'm sorry, not secure from, from security cyber breaches. Security breaches, correct. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, a little harder if everybody was disconnected and they mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. not online. Yeah, well, if you need 10 signatures to pay an invoice mm-hmm. and somebody calls them and says, hey, you, you're late. Yeah. In the States, you might just get online and pay it. In Japan, you need to get 10 signatures. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless they're under threat of getting terminated or losing a contract. Urgency. Right? Yeah. Slow down. And that's changing because with digital transformation, what they call DX all the time out here, really it's the application of the use of some digital technology to speed up that process. Now you don't have to get signatures. You can do, you know, e-signatures. So companies like DocuSign and and various Mm -hmm. competitors, and there's a lot of local Japanese versions of that company Mm -hmm. here, they're getting great market share. I mean, they're really Mm -hmm. selling this into corporate Japan but with that, and this goes back to that thing I was just telling you a few moments ago, is where's the equivalent of the driver's education with the adoption of that technology? And that, that is what I looked at when I started what today's what we think to be the biggest security education business in Japan. You know, our business mm-hmm. has the largest volume of security educational learning for everyday mm-hmm. Japanese businesses. And mm-hmm. so when you think about that, you're adopting new technologies, but you're not implementing the proper education with that. Yeah. And so I saw that over the last four or five years, mm. and it was just within the last two, three years, definitely during COVID, that that became so pronounced. Mm. And when I'm looking at that today, 
2023, if we're not properly educated, you're going to see more ore ore sagis thriving because they're happening. I mean, there's yeah. millions of them happening every single yep. day. And most of them are caught because they're technology mm-hmm. and security infrastructure is good mm-hmm. but it doesn't capture all of it yep. and when it doesn't then what happens then it mm-hmm. gets to that end user which is you or me mm-hmm. or your brother your sister yep. or your grandmother your mom, yep. your mom all these people if the systems fail which they always do they can't yep. like your secure email gateway for instance does not capture Every, they just cannot. There's zero days out yep. there, and there's so many things. They will come through, even if it's only one percent. But if you're doing yeah. brute force attacks, mm. thousands upon thousands, and one mm. percent could be 10, 20, 30 emails. Yeah. And so when they do get through, what is that last line of defense? Are they properly educated? Do they know and say, wait a second, this is interesting. I should call that person back. They're asking me to do something that seems a little strange. I mm. watched a series of videos. I've been trained properly. Mm. And I'm going to slow down. And, and that's the key right there. Mm. And so we saw, I saw that developing over the last few years. Well, not developing, but the, it, that the lack of that. Yeah. But I saw that the technology was being accelerated and the adoption of that was just moving yeah. so fast. And it seems to get faster. And it's getting faster every single I mean, yeah. More and more of it is being adopted. And as that's mm. happening, where's the corresponding education? Mm. Non-existent. But it's who takes responsibility for that? Is it a government function? Is it the schools? Is it the company? And I think a lot of companies try valiantly. valiantly. Mm-hmm. They try. Yeah, but that's not their business. Their business is maybe selling cars or selling stereos or selling microphones or medicine or something. They're not a cybersecurity specialist, right? They don't have to be a cybersecurity specialist. Mm-hmm. I think they have to, and this is the responsibility of, on a couple of different fronts. For us, we have to be able to tell that story and, and connect that back to the business. Mm-hmm. What's the business use case? of having security education and having mm-hmm. a culture of security across your organization. Yeah. Because they're looking at, they meaning like, let's say the executives, mm-hmm. the board, yep. different business units, they're thinking like, why do I care? I, I need mm-hmm. to ship this product and I need to go to market. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, as the provider of this education, who's trying to sell into these organizations, need to make that business case and say, this will affect and impact your intellectual property. If a breach occurs, this has a certain monetary impact. There's, if you're a publicly listed company, this could impact your market share. Reputation. There's, there's reputation damage. There's a lot of things. So you have to translate just security education. You know, that term is used too loosely. It's, it's a little and nebulous, right? Nebulous, yeah. right. And so we have to define that. And then have metrics around that and say, well, mm-hmm. what does this translate to? And Japan still is a very immature market when it talks when we, when we talk about the adoption of security education. The whole security maturity model that that, that mm-hmm. kind of term is used in the in the Americas yeah. in the U.S. Uh, that doesn't really exist here in Japan. I think mm-hmm. what we're doing as a company is blazing that trail. Effectively, yeah. like there is no security education conversation that's happening i think the 
the summit that we had yeah. last week mm-hmm. here in Tokyo was probably, I, I don't think there has been any conversation in Japanese or in English mm. about truly building a metrics based security educational framework in Japan. And that's what we're doing. And I put together these events,、mm-hmm. building and investing in this security educational infrastructure that、mm-hmm. what is called SIA to advance that.、Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a blast doing it, actually, because、mm-hmm. I'm learning as I go. Like, I don't pretend to know all this. I, I don't. I'm learning by talking to customers,、mm-hmm. asking them questions,、mm-hmm. and then taking that information and really building that into the product lifecycle,、mm-hmm. the new content that we deliver. And, and it depends if you're talking to a retail company, a chemicals company, a hospital, or financial services, they all have different needs.、Uh-huh. And so, what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is listening. And part、mm-hmm. of building the business is listening. A lot of times, people talk and talk and talk and talk, and they, they tell people what they should hear.、Mm-hmm. But for me, it's slow down. We're talking about slowing down、mm-hmm. and listen. And I spend a lot of time here just listening to customers. And it's given me such a wealth of information. Like, as a matter of fact, we're going to be releasing a gamification feature built into our learning management system、mm-hmm. for Japanese to learn and adopt security education. We thought, what if we build a gaming element feature、mm. into that experience? So that's what I've learned that just by talking to customers because I kept hearing about this thing about incentivized learning.、Uh. And they said, well, People don't want to learn and do this corporate learning. It's so boring. And what,、yeah. what's in it for them? And they have all these questions. And then you, as the provider of this learning content、mm. library, this program, you have to make it dead simple. Yeah. And you have to also do it with, with things that are not going to be filled with friction as they're adopting it. Yeah. And you want to make it just fun, engaging, and it has to have KPIs kind of around. There's a lot of things that you got to do. And a lot of it starts from us listening. And then in the end, it's got to be effective too. So, yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, been, it's been great. When you talk about、wow. security education,、yep. like, yeah. Well, and they say that the weakest link in any company's security is the human,、mm-hmm. right? So, they get that phone call. Hey, your invoice is late. Why haven't you paid? Or they get that email、uh, click here to accept,、um, you know, your,、uh, click here to check the progress on your package. Yeah. Right?、Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh no, if I don't get that, I'm going to be in trouble. So, I better click on it right now and just, okay, slow down.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, some, in some ways, that explanation of the weakest link is a human. It's interesting. We, we can talk about that. A lot、mm-hmm. of people hate that. When people call it that because it blames the person.、Uh, It's saying, like, you're the weakest link and saying, wait a s t h a t humans are, are very diverse true. beings.、Mm-hmm. And when we say the humans are the, I think that comes generally from more of the, the marketing aspect of it. Like, when you market, Security,、yeah. it's always nice to kind of have these little catchphrases like、mm. you know, the weakest link, you know, a human firewall, and you have all these things,、mm. and, and they all sound great.、Mm. And so, I, I don't I think it's possibly a positive thing when you're trying to just get the attention of a company by saying the people in your company are weak links,、uh. and you're thinking like it's almost it, 
absolves the responsibility of upper management or, or the the boards or the executives to say like is it do we is it the fault of that person mm. or is maybe we're not putting the right kind of controls in place mm. are we providing the right kind of culture and support yeah well, and i guess you could turn it around and say mm -hmm. if and i've been on the board of a company yeah. and there's a lot of responsibility there it, it seems like in a Disney movie with the villain who's twisting his mustache and counting piles of money yeah. while smoking a cigar, that has nothing to do with reality, by the way. But when you're on the board of a company and you're responsible for really big decisions, um, has the board and the 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 purpose of a board is to you know grow and pre preserve value for the shareholder, right? And uh, it, every decision we made is, is this in the best interest of the shareholders and the employees? And like I said, there's a lot of responsibility there. And so have I, let's say I'm the board member of this company that's been under attack, cyber attacks and, you know, um, social engineering attacks. Have I taken my responsibility seriously and provided the right training? So we, if we turn it on our head and say, like, maybe that sounds like blaming, and I don't like to play the blame game, right? Um, okay, I could, I could say that, and it sounds negative, the, the human being is the weakest link. However, have I provided that um, environment where they can win, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the idea here is not to say any security solution is going to remove the threat. Really, it's going to reduce the risk at best. We do everything we can to be able to manage and have a resilient system. It's going to happen. Like security is always under attack. And so as a company, as an individual, we have to be resilient. And then we have to have systems in place. So I, I have to be very careful because sometimes when I'm talking to prospective Japanese customers is there's this impression that what we're going to give to them, this security educational program, somehow is going to remove the security threat and that there should never be an incident. And so if there is, it's the failure of our program. Like I thought we, we just spent all this money on your security program is supposed to teach and educate all of our staff about what not to do. And we had a breach. We had a breach. And, and the person opened an attachment or they got socially engineered. Your system here is a failure. I had that conversation actually a couple days ago, which is interesting. They were saying some of our customers would think that, so we had to be very careful. I mean, because the level of sophistication in the market here is, is, is why. I mean, there's companies that really understand and get it. But then there's a lot of companies that are saying security doesn't exist. There is no cybersecurity professional in that company. There's nobody responsible for that task. If I think, I'm trying to think of a proper analogy, and it's like saying, you know, I took driver education, I got my driver's license and, and got in a car accident. It must have been my instructor's fault. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, but yeah, you, you can always give people all the best education there. Like you said, there's still going to be mistakes there. People mm -hmm. are human and yeah. there's still going to be. Um, so I guess then it comes down to having the property measure, the 
proper measures in place mm-hmm. for when the breach happens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, this is how, when I think about why we enter the market, is I saw that there was this gap, and that that gap was wide enough, and there was very few people really looking at that. And I kept hearing from people, education is so missing like we need to have systems but it was talked about in such a broad way like we just need people to have better understanding what does that mean better understanding what exactly do you have to do to measure that they've grown and learned over time you know you have to figure out some type of metrics to tie that back to certain behavior and as i looked at all that i said to myself wow there's an opportunity here just like with our conversation legal about services, yeah. legal services yeah. you know better cheaper and faster yeah and the same thing here yeah. i mean I, I think it's slightly different it's not better cheaper faster but our content is better executed because it's in native japanese and i don't think we even talked about that yeah. that's a whole other area so it says well why are you creating this content there's a lot of global providers out there that publish fairly okay content but it's for the global audience yeah. meaning that it's usually in english yeah. and then it's then translated and loosely localized to 25 languages and japanese is one of them and it's americentric and it's Amer- exactly so john and tom are at the super bowl <laughs> you know? super bowl that doesn't really mean anything the japanese person sees that like what the heck is is that a big salad <laughs> 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 or you know um you know uh this couple is taking pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Thanksgiving dinner, and you get an email. It's like, what? So you've explained to me off, off air that your content is made for Japan. Yeah. That's a huge differentiator. It's because a major differentiator. Huge. And I think people underappreciate that. And this, this theme is constant in the work that I do from... Mm-hmm. our legal services because similarly to that we were doing that in japanese mm-hmm. chinese korean and that was that differentiator yeah in the u.s market and we have a presence here in japan too for that business mm-hmm. and it's the same thing when we talk to clients is that same conversation it's a very different process when you're dealing with data in another language and you have yeah. to do legal analysis on that for a U.S. litigation, mm-hmm. it is not going to be solved by machine translation no. or some half-baked MT solution that mm-hmm. can get you some fuzzy understanding. Yeah. But in legal, we need precision and proper teams in place to really make sense of that because mm-hmm. you're dealing with multi-billion-dollar engagements and litigation yes. and huge penalties and criminal fine, all these things, and yep. those are important enough where you have to put proper mm. processes in place and I, I explained it to a friend they said because because i i love this you know e-discovery i lo- absolutely love it mm-hmm. and um uh i shouldn't tell you this because you've hired me to do work before but i would do it for free <laughs> all right i'll make, make a note of forget that. forget i said that i'm gonna delete <laughs> that that i never said that but it's so fun mm-hmm the investigation, the the chase, the finding that. Yeah. The needle in the haystack. Yes. You're really building a story. Yeah. It's so fun. And um Yeah. 
and then the interesting thing is if you use machine translation, there are so many words in Japanese that don't translate to English. And there's so many things with double meaning. And there's slang. And then on top of that, you have the company culture and their abbreviations and acronyms, right? So um, unless you have somebody who's either native or very good in that language going over that data for you and, and doing the analysis and doing the report and has the cultural um, uh, understanding putting that through a machine you're gonna first of all it's gonna be garbled it's it's gonna be quasi English and then it's gonna have literal translation and then it's gonna miss a lot right because of there's there's a lot of cultural stuff that just gets lost in translation and Japanese is I'm sure there are other languages like this maybe Arabic you know with the culture is completely different but if you go from Spanish to English it's pretty close. I mean, you speak Spanish, right? We both speak Spanish, and it's pretty close. Now, there are things in when you get in different countries in South America where they speak Spanish, you're going to have different expressions, right? But if you go from Spanish or Italian to English, you're going to get pretty darn close. But if you go from Japanese to English, you're, it's not even going to be close. So, And you can try it, too. You and can it, try. Good luck. <laughs> So, so that that experience of looking at culture, yeah, and how that doesn't properly translate well, yeah, in so many ways, yeah, was the same thing that I saw in cybersecurity. Uh, you know, security education was also faced with this problem. Yeah, most of these global providers of educational content, they looked at it as build in English and deploy in 35 languages, mm. translate it and then localize it. Mm. And then that was fine. And so Japan just got whatever Japan the got, the world got well, whatever yeah. the world got, whether it's in Swedish or Japanese or yep. German, it was just a secondary mm. and it wasn't given that priority. Mm-hmm. And so not only is security such an important, as I mentioned, 10 and a half trillion, third largest economy in the world, Japan. You have this massive problem. Japan's not properly thinking about the risk Mm -hmm. because maybe that might be another conversation we can have because physically here, it's a safe place. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? You can walk down any dark alley, any time of the day. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't be a problem. You would be fine. And it sort of gives you an ease and a calmness when you think about that. There's a word for it, heiwa bokeh. Hewaboke, yeah. Hewaboke means like, um, like lulled into security by the peaceful, peacefulness. Yeah. Peacefulness, yeah. It's right, and it's, that is that's so true because you're talking about physical safety in Japan. So good. So good. Great. Wonderful. I mean, there's so many things to love about Japan, mm-hmm. and there's so many things to dislike about <laughs> Japan. It's one of those countries of contrast. Amazing. Yeah. So. So with that, the idea of the peacefulness of yeah. the physical space mm-hmm. gives people the impression that we're secure. And a lot of people are very trusting, too. Really trusting. And so when it comes to like network security, mm. you know, all these connected devices and internet, it's a whole different shift. 
Mm. And then cybersecurity. And people are actively seeking to target Japanese companies. Mm. I mean, you have APTs out there. I don't know if you know what APTs mean. What's but an APT? Advanced Persistent Threat. Oh. These are organized threat actors, typically through the auspices of state-sponsored criminal gangs. And so they, there's people who follow this look at different APTs. They have APT. different numbers. And some of them are dedicated to industries. Oh. And they, they might be organized by you know, particular countries that are unfriendly to Japan. Mm-hmm. They'll say, we want to There are target. a couple out there. <laughs> yeah, and they want to target, let's say, the Japanese telecommunications sure. industry, the critical infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. And they focus and they have whole teams of people dedicated to that task. And wow. if you're living in Hewaboke, mm-hmm. you can't imagine a world that, really, there's people that do that stuff? Yeah. Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, you think, mm. why? Why would they do that? Yeah. yeah. Like, what do we do to them? Like, does, and I'm not trying to say everyone's naive, but I think yeah. a lot of people, because they're living in, in a nice, safe environment, I mean, they're for a lot of reasons, right? It's a safe yeah. space. It's a good thing. And it is also a historical reason. Like, mm-hmm. the country's experience post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that. We talk about the Constitution mm-hmm. and, and the... the pacifist nature of the constitution yep and so today when you fast forward to 2023 and then now Mm -hmm. with this business Mm -hmm. and then with the lack of proper educational content and all these new devices coming online coming online at the same time and then also the lack of a lot of people come to japan can experience is the lack of actual english spoken here the the actual knowledge of people even in a big city like tokyo Mm -hmm. how many people when you compare to other cosmopolitan cities like hong kong singapore a lot of people speak english well enough Mm -hmm. here You've been here many years now, Tracy, yeah. so you can probably attest to this more than I can. You know, mm-hmm. People struggle. They really and do. So, real, so then for me, as a business thesis, mm-hmm. the answer is you have to have truly Japanese design, build, scripted, mm-hmm. educational content that is properly tailored for the Japanese mm-hmm. user. And that's what we created. And you know, I, I'm into music and, mm-hmm. and uh, bands like Deep Purple is still popular. Smoke on the Water, you know. Deep Purple is still extremely popular. Um, I want to say Cheap Trick and uh, other bands that were like big in the 70s and 80s. And they're so popular because they did an album live in Japan. Mr. Big. Oh, yeah. Mr. Big is insanely popular in Japan um, because... They did an album live at the Budokan, I want to say. It was called Live, Mr. Big Live, Raw Like Sushi. <laughs> and it was here, in, recorded live in Japan. And I want to say it's at the Budokan. And they showed the Japanese audience, we care about you. We've done, of all the places we've been, London has concerts, right? Germany, um, Brazil. New York City, San Francisco, L.A., Boston. Of all the places we could have recorded an album, we chose Tokyo. And that endears them to the Japanese fans. And I sometimes think that Japanese consumers want 
a company to tailor something to the Japanese market, first of all, because for the Japanese market, the tastes are different, but also to show that you put in the effort to tailor to the Japanese market. Yeah. It, I think that's what they want to see. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've, I invested in that. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, somebody's tailoring making something for you. If you think mm-hmm. about that for like bespoke clothing. Yeah, a suit. A nice suit. Nothing better than a tailor-made suit. Right. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Would you, would you like something off the rack? Or do you want something custom tailored, fitted for you? Mm. And that's very important when you think about yeah. that. Like you, you give a sign of respect to Yes. Look, I appreciate it. I'm not just creating a translated content. You're not just a secondary market for, for us. Yeah. And for us, it's not. Japan is the primary market yeah. for and us. Too many global companies... And and I understand it because when you build a scale, you got to yeah. I get, I get that. I mean, we're doing it the op. We're we're going to scale globally, mm. and we get a lot of interest outside of Japan too. But we're doing it the inverse. We're saying Japan uh, first, yeah. and then we're going to go out. Because mm. too many companies just say, "Well, this worked in Australia. It worked in America. It worked in England. Yeah, it'll work in Japan." And it doesn't always. So. And I think for cybersecurity education, yeah. the stakes are too big yes. for you to say, well, we, we're going to try this out in Japan. There's a lot of companies that come to Japan. They hire their country manager, and then they go through them like every year, and they get a new one, and then they mm-hmm. leave. And so yep. a common question that I get from a lot of Japanese, and they ask, which is understandable, is questions like, how long have you been here? Mm-hmm. Do they think we're just going to f- come in and leave? A fly-by-night organization. Right, and so a lot of them are skeptical that we even have stuff. The first one, they realize, you have a team here, and you're mm-hmm. actually building this in Japanese. Like, yeah. It is. This is scripted in Japanese. And like, what do you mean? No, we're not, we didn't hire interpreters, none of those. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're doing. We actually spend all of our energy researching all the vulnerabilities. You mentioned ore ore sagi, but we look at all the different versions of that. Yeah, there are a lot. And there's so many of them. Like a couple of months ago, a, a hospital in Osaka got attacked and it shut down the entire system. Oh, no. And so that was a big issue. And so surgeries had to be postponed. There's a lot of things that happened. Oh, no, and so now people understand like the life-threatening nature yeah. of cybersecurity. When an incident like that occurs and it mm. hits like, hospital yeah then people start paying attention Mm. and so so from us as a business that looks to monitor all this we'll take something like that that's very japanese very japanese in that it took place in japan yeah yeah and then we learn for that it's like what happened in that incident and then we try to then take that and then we get inspired to tell a story that's effective that can mm-hmm. then be digestible mm-hmm. for an everyday employee in a company so that mm-hmm. they understand it's this, relatable. this is relatable. Yeah, yeah. and we, we tell stories. And we actually make it, things called shikimajikan. Oh. The idea of each of these episodes are made to fill gap times and in the daily schedule of a Japanese employee because a Japanese oh. employee is very busy. Yeah. There's a lot of responsibilities. So shikimajikan, if you take those two words, yeah. it's like gap time. And you're yeah. really making sure that the content is not overly long 
and it has to be short enough to kind of fit within Mm-hmm. their busy schedule yeah and so when we talk about that to people like, how, they ask us how long is your episode like don't worry we we've thought through this we thought because about we this, don't yeah. want it to be too long because a lot of times yeah. some of these topics they're very heavy yeah and technical and so what we do is we we want to make sure that they're single topic focused mm. and easy to digest mm. and, and I think most people, a lot of the existing type of security education yeah. is PowerPoint heavy, uh, seminar oriented, and they yeah. tend to be long drawn out, kind of more like pedantic, like you shouldn't yes. do this. And this is a sensei that's coming and is going to tell you, you yep. know, all the things that you shouldn't do and what you shan't. And yep. the human mind can't remember all that information. That's no. extremely boring. It doesn't matter if mm-hmm. even if that's something they're used, anybody's used to doing. Yeah. It's hard for for information to be retained in that kind of environment. Yeah. So you take a 30-minute PowerPoint or a 30-minute mm-hmm. presentation, which a lot of companies say, oh, we have these presentations. Why would we want to buy an entire program and pay for that? Well, we had this person over here give a presentation, and we know what we know. We have this document circulating through the company, and it tells people what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't mm-hmm. click on documents. You shouldn't do this. And it's just very mm-hmm. instructive dry. and dry. And then there's ours. All, all of it is in anime. And it's also, if, like I was talking about the homegrown solution. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm a medical device company and I want to create a cybersecurity program for my employees for education, that's not my job. I mean, I'm, I make medical devices. Mm-hmm. How am I going to design an effective well, that, yeah. cybersecurity <laughs> program? Yeah. There, there are companies that mm-hmm. will say... You were tasked to do that now. Go and create yep. it. To somebody from IT. Yeah, go and go do go, it. Go uh, it can't be that difficult. Yeah. Don't click documents, attachments, and they simplify it like that uh, and say, "Oh, you know, that can't be that difficult. Just put it together, we'll mm-hmm. circulate it around, and move on." Wow. And then that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. For something that is so important that you know could be life-threatening in a hospital or could be bankrupt a company mm-hmm. or could um, cost somebody their job or slow, you know, stop the factory or something. It's so, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's astonishing that, that they don't put more work into it. And, and I'm talking on a global scale. I'm not criticizing Japan because a lot of people don't realize, you know, they've been lucky, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They've been lucky so far. And they don't really think about it. And so then something's in the news. Um, there were a couple recently in the news in Japan. Uh, a bunch of patient information might have got leaked. And um, uh, people don't, I, I, I don't know, may, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't mm. think people think about this until it hits home. Right. So you got to make it hit home. And then the, the way your LMS, your learning management system works, and the way the content works brings it home, right? Make it fun. Yeah, yeah. You have to make it fun and engaging and tied to reducing behaviors that can lead to things like that, mm-hmm. to certain risky behavior that yeah. tied to activities that can increase mm-hmm. more data breaches to possibly occur. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, it's a lot of things. So I, it's, it's a, it's, it's a great 
space to be in because it has yet to really take form here、mm. in Japan. You know, Ethan Hawke says that there is no path until you walk it. Right? So you're,、uh, you're trailblazing. And it's、yeah. exciting. Oh, it's very exciting. And I'm going to have to、yeah. come back to Japan. Unfortunately, I'm just, I say that in jest. Good news and bad news. <laughs> more regularly. Because、yeah. I haven't been here in a long time. Yeah, well, we just went through this thing where people couldn't really travel. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> so this, this trip has been great because it's、yeah. confirmed that this platform that we've built、mm-hmm. in the last two years. Because、yeah. I haven't got to step foot in Japan,、mm-hmm. it really allowed us to focus in on a problem and talk、yeah. to people. I had all these Zoom calls with、mm-hmm. customers in Japan trying to learn. We did this huge conference yeah, tell me about back、that. in 2020. Okay. Right in the middle of the year、uh-huh. when everything shut down、mm-hmm. and nobody can go out. And at that time, I was going to do a Conference here in Tokyo. Yeah. But I couldn't.、Mm. And so we ended up doing a virtual conference. Okay. And I ran the entire conference virtually out of a studio in LA. Okay. And it went for four days. So、wow. I, I was hosting, I think it was 62 speakers from 21 countries. I must have had. I don't know how many hours of talking that I had to do. Like, I moderated at least six panels. <laughs> And That's crazy. It was amazing because it was、yeah. a tour of the world. We had speakers, and a yeah, lot yeah. of them are on security topics.、Mm. And so I was able to really talk to security leaders across 20 plus different countries.、Mm. And that was fantastic because I learned so much. And that was before we built the security awareness program. Okay. So, a lot of like, the work, if you see, like, before I end up starting a business, I typically like to go and conduct my research and talk、mm-hmm. to the front lines of people who are either doing、yeah. it or joining in myself and becoming like, a contractor so I can learn and understand、yeah. like, how does discovery actually work on the ground? Yeah. What are the agencies involved? I remember you were doing a cybersecurity summit. Yeah, you remember that. But you were doing outsourcing legal services, and I didn't make the connection. Right, yeah. People thought, wait, what are you doing? You have this huge security conference, but you also have this legal outsourcing business. And you were doing market research. I was doing market research, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was doing. But I gave people a platform. Yeah. And, then people were, and I've met for the first time you know, over the last year when people started to travel more、mm. that I met. During that conference, like I had a gentleman、uh, who was this data privacy security expert attorney from Ghana, and he was one of our speakers, so fantastic. I mean, he was so insightful about the security and data privacy regime in Ghana, and he spoke on a, a few panels. And then he contacts me a few months ago、mm. and he says, Jonathan, I'm in Washington, D.C. now, and、wow. I'm getting an LLM at the George Washington School of Law. And I said, Really? I'm in DC too. Wow. And I met him and had lunch, and it was really nice because I got、That's、to、amazing. see him in person.、Yeah. But what connected me to him was our summit. We call it the, the 10X Summit. 
Okay. And I think it was called the Saya's 10X Summit. Yeah. And connecting the world. And I forgot exactly what the subtitle was. But I remember I had so many conversations. But mm. the thing is, I learned a lot. Mm. Like, I, I don't pretend I'm the security expert. I'm yeah, not. Yeah. You know, a funny thing I'll say it here is I don't come from cybersecurity. And I yeah. think that's very important to a lot mm. of times new ideas come from people from outside of the industry. Yeah. Because they come with fresh eyes. They're not mm -hmm. jaded by the space. They're coming in with innovation and a mindset of change. Yeah. And yeah. for me, too, I, I'm always looking at things from the outside. And Yeah. And, and you heard the, the story probably where they, they put, um, uh, uh, I won't go through the whole story, but they put like four apes in a room and then a banana at the top of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And... Um, one says, "Oh, I want the banana." So they start walking up, and then uh, somebody drops a bucket of water on the on the ape, and and all the other apes are like, "Oh no!" Every time you go for the banana, you're gonna get a splash of cold water in your face. <laughs> so they take one out, put a new one in, and he's like, "Oh, look at there's you know there's a banana. I'll go for it." And then everybody grabs him and says, "You know, don't do that." I mean, they don't talk, but they they stop. <laughs> they prevent him from going for the banana. And then they keep changing animals until all the original ones are gone. And none of the others have seen this bucket of water get thrown on them. And they don't know why they're stopping the other guy. <laughs> and the, the bottom line is, that's the way we've always done it. So company cultures get, families get like this too, but company cultures get like this. We're talking about corporate stuff, so we'll stay on the corporate track here. Company cultures get like this. Well, we've always done it like that. Nobody can tell you why, but we've always done it like this. Mm -hmm. So somebody who comes in from, like, from the outside and says, hey, why, why don't you guys make cybersecurity training available in Japan, scripted in Japanese for specifically Japanese situations? And people say, well, we've always done it like this. But what if the way we've always done it is a crappy way right? mm -hmm. so you you've come in from watching from having the cybersecurity summit and meeting people and listening to people and developed a product that as, what is what is amazing about you and this is why i love having conversations with you we we've we, people who don't know that you know we've known each other for a decade we've had so many skype calls and conversations and in-person conversations and one of the things I like about you is you see things before they happen. It's almost like a Jedi reflex, right? Like you see a trend and then you act on it. And a couple of years later, people say, oh, now I see why he did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I think that's the entrepreneurial mindset or the, the, one of the skills for being an entrepreneur is anticipating market trends and then acting on them. Yeah. yeah. And also being bold enough yes and it has to have a certain tolerance for risk yeah and it's going to be with that risk failure yeah. but i i look at failure as a positive mm. like for me to be able like i look at some of the large engagements that we've closed on in our other company and i think about i do like a a i don't know how to call it, like a an assessment of like where did that opportunity mm -hmm. arise yeah. And I go backwards in time and I say, oh my gosh, I try to reach out to this person or I went 
and responded to this message and I met with this person for coffee and then I requested that they can introduce me to this person and then mm. I followed up with that person six times and on the seventh time they responded, I met with them and then they changed jobs and lateral to another company mm. and then that person introduced me to their supervisor and I kept following them all the, the way through and that was like a couple of years and probably 25 touch points uh. and... And so, but what people see is the outcome at the end of that. Yeah. They say, oh, it must be nice, Jonathan. You get to stay at the, you know, at the Ritz Carlton. I mm. said, well, it's not really that. That's not, that doesn't matter. Or you, you, it must be nice that you get to get this great deal and you're making all this money. And I'm like, that's not it. It's not, travel. It's, it's that journey. Yeah. The money part, like, no, you have to have certain alignment first. Uh, you have to have alignment and that first has to be there the money part will follow yeah and if you don't have that spiritual alignment then you can have all the money and you're going to be unhappy Mm. so you have to have certain alignment and that's super key and when i do all this i'm saying okay well yeah we're going to be successful financially if that's the one category you want to look at it and the outcome of all these touch points and is a journey and looking back, I think that's fascinating how, how that worked itself out. Like you, yeah. you have to look at it that way. And that's another aspect of the business development cycle of being an entrepreneur mm. is the tolerance or the appetite for that. Like there's going to mm. be a lot of what most people would consider rejection. Like that person never responded to me. Mm. They're this or they're that. There's moments of that I get. Sure. I, I, I think like, why is that person not... But you got to slow down and say, wait a second, they, they might be going through something right now. Yeah. You're busy. They're busy people. And, and just let it be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very fascinating. So a lot of being an entrepreneur is it's not a science. It's, it's really an art. Mm-hmm. And I've relish in that. It's fascinating when I think about that, like that journey. And I'm still on this journey. Like this business that we're talking this new business this yeah. security education we're still at the early stages the company recently launched i mean we've been incubating and building the content for the last year or two mm-hmm. but to commercialize it and to build it, yeah. a sales channel like we're just starting that journey and we're barely scratching the surface in japan like the number of customers that we have now is so few i'm mm-hmm. saying that publicly yeah but that means there's so much growth and opportunity there and we're yeah. prepared because we've really did our research mm. and we're open to you know, iterating and that's mm. key too. it you have to yeah. be open to changing and having the feedback loop back into the development cycle mm. and we get constructive feedback for certain clients sometimes we we take it for a grain of salt and we say okay we'll put it here and we want to see if we can validate that by hearing from others mm. And that whole process is, is just constantly an evolving one. Mm. And mm. yeah, it's, it's a... Well, the advantage of, some, of having somebody who's invested in Japan, mm-hmm. who understands the culture and speaks Japanese like you, and then wants to build something for Japan to, to fill a gap that's been left there that other people didn't see. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then wanting to make a, a po- have a positive impact. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think too many people think and maybe this is me projecting. I don't know. Too many people think like there's money to be made here. Mm-hmm. And and sure there is. 
but I think you see a gap that needs to be filled, a need, yeah, a desperate need, if you will, yeah, of something that's uh, that nobody else has either seen or. A, a lot of times, I think that you know Japan. Yeah, it's a big market, but when a when a global company looks at the Japanese market and says that's five percent of our bottom line, why should we invest? You know, you you've taken the completely opposite way of looking at it, which is yeah, yeah, amazing. So yeah, the opposite, and and I have fun doing it, uh, and I love Japan. I yeah. enjoy being here. I. I, I like so much of it. Yeah, there's a lot of things to criticize, but there's sure. a lot of things to criticize about everything. Everyone can say yeah. things, and no place is perfect. You know, we, you and I have both traveled a lot, and I can say that no place is perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know that utopia, what that means, right? The word, what it means. Mm. No place there is it doesn't exist. <laughs> when Sir Thomas More wrote the word the book utopia and yeah. whatever in the 1600s or something yeah. it it really was saying like this doesn't exist uh, there is no place utopia is nowhere wow so mm. uh, uh like they say there is no there no right there's only the journey the journey and it's a fun journey and it's and i am very honored to like be on this journey with you so and here we are back in tokyo back in tokyo where i was gonna say where it all started but it all started in la so <laughs> it did <laughs> on what floor i think we're on it was like the probably the same floor that we're on now yeah 34th 35th floor of some office building in downtown la yeah and um, we, we would watch the sunrise yep sounds kind of romantic doesn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just three guys yeah me, you, and another guy, and and we would sit there and watch the sunrise and have coffee, and like we we would make the first coffee in the morning at the firm, right? Oh my gosh! I I drank a lot. I still do, but I drink a lot of coffee. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't drink any coffee. That's right. Yeah. I I've, I I can't say I never drink Good coffee, but I I very very rarely. You're very healthy. Ever drink coffee? Like you haven't gained an ounce since I've met you. Oh yeah. <laughs> or aged a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's the the early morning sauna ah we're talking about health and wellness and that's a whole other podcast we can do about yeah sauna and cold plunging yeah so nice. I, I start my mornings here in tokyo about i think 6 a.m okay and by 6 30 especially here at the Mandarin, Mm. they open up the spa Mm. and they have this beautiful sauna. Mm. It's probably the most epic sauna you've ever experienced because it's a sauna that's not just in wood, like most saunas, but one whole section of the sauna is just all glass. So you can see the sun as it's rising and then Mount Fuji. Oh my gosh. So I'm sitting there at 645 as the sun is rising yeah and then the clouds start to dissipate and mount fuji starts to appear and i'm sitting there sweating Mm. and i start my day wow so that's how i'll start my day tomorrow morning or a few hours from now yeah yeah what what time is it now it's i should get out of your hair (laughs) it's one o'clock it's one and i 
I got my appointment this morning in a few hours with okay. Asana in the Mount okay. Fuji. All right. And I have an appointment with my bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I can get home and get showered. Yeah. So, hey, it's been a blast. I always appreciate, you well, know. We got to do part two. Yes. Right. We can do I this can without do being two, in yeah. the same city, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, we yeah? can do Zoom. Okay. Yep. Um, I prefer face-to-face. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, Zoom works or, or whatever. So um, let's do it again. This is just part one. This is just the beginning. So, like, there's so much more going on. Oh, there's so many different conversations that we could have gone down. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me sometimes um, uh, because and I know you're very focused on cybersecurity, but there's so many other directions we could go with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. I, mean, I have a lot of interest in, like, I cook. I talk uh, about the sauna. There's yeah. so many things uh, I'm very mm-hmm. fascinated in. Fascinated by yeah, mm-hmm. like I, I've I've um, recently got into intermittent fasting, and I was bragging to somebody like I had one meal today, and somebody said I've been doing that for like six years. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I've got this uh, almost evangelical attitude about it. It's like I just discovered it, you know, and, um, and yeah, and every day I talk to him, and and you, you don't, you're very local, right, and uh, very healthy eater, and I remember. Um, when we worked in LA together and, and I would have breakfast and then I would come into the firm and then they had donuts on, was it Thursdays or something? Mm-hmm. And this other guy and I would go and raid the donuts and, and then about <laughs> 1130, I'm like, is it time for lunch yet? And I'd look over at you and you're like just sitting there sipping some water or something. And then, um, I, about noon, I'm like, Jonathan, should we go get some juice? He's like, oh, just a second. And then about one o'clock, dude, you want to get some juice? Like, oh, yeah, I'm almost ready. Let me finish a couple of things. And then, like, 1.30 comes and 2 o'clock comes, and you don't even look hungry. I'm like, what is up with this guy? <laughs> Does he ever eat? You know? And, and, I, and I notice with uh, less junk food in my diet, and now pretty much none because I'm doing 75 hard, I don't get as hungry. Like, I cut out the processed food. And uh, only things I can identify. Nothing from a can or a box, right? And then the next day, I wake up. I'm not hungry. It's like, this is new. So that's why I'm all like excited about it. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. so cool, you know. But then other, other friends like you who have done it for years is like, you know, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> it's a work in progress. I'm learning. Uh, like a lot of my dietary habits of years ago mm-hmm. have evolved and changed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always learning. You're yeah. learning about grass-fed beef uh, and seed oils. Yeah, that was a new one for me recently. So there's so many things that if you focus in on, you stay one. Like we were talking about alignment. Like if you want to stay yeah. in alignment, it's also in alignment with nature. Uh, like the sun rises yeah. and it sets. You want to get that early morning sun, the mm. sunshine. Yeah. And the vitamin D from the early morning. Mm. And then when it sets, you want to get, so if you want the ideal sun, yeah. you get that in alignment with the rising sun and then the setting sun. Are you an Andrew Huberman fan? Yeah, I, okay. I listen to a lot of his, his podcasts. Show, yeah. It's good. I mean, they talk a lot about things yeah. like that. and Early morning sun. Right. There's so many different things. Really and a lot fan. of things are actually, is free. When you think yeah. about like health and wellness, oftentimes a lot of it is free. It's out there in the world. 
and you just need to just embrace it. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Yeah. We we have friends, and, and one time I'd love to take you there. We have friends who have a, a tiny house, uh, actually a couple in Izu. And probably one of the best sleeps I've ever had in recent years was, um, I think, in the spring. We stayed there, left the windows open, and, you know, crashed. Wake up in the morning and it felt like a million bucks. Can hear the birds chirping. Mm, yeah. And there's a stream, you hear the little trickle. And I tell you, what, if I could have moved there that day, I'd have done it. You know? So you get to do a lot of grounding. You yes. get to be with the soil, yes. like the earth. That's another thing. Like Grounding, yes. As much as I enjoy this Mandarin Oriental, I'm so removed from the ground. I mean, I'm 34 floors up. And that's another thing with today's technology is we're so removed from nature and being in the city in Tokyo or wherever city, we tend to be removed from that. Mm. We're all connected to all these things, but we're actually going back to that word connected. We're not connected. We're We're connected, but we're so disconnected. Yeah. Like when do we just go and grab soil and and dirt and just sand and and just sit in it, put your foot in it. Or grass. Grass. You know, or, or touch a tree. Mm-hmm. I make it a point when I'm in the park to just go up and put my hand on the tree. And, yeah. and you feel different. There's a different energy. It's, it's, uh, it's just different. You know? I, I did a... Just tell my brother the last thing. Um, and I'll, I'll let you close out with some closing thoughts. But I was uh, telling my brother... Um, and he lives in Scandinavia. And I was telling my brother that I, I had done a, a New Year's cold plunge in the in the ocean. He said, oh yeah, we have some people in uh, Europe who do that too. I said, really? Like for New Year's? He said, no, every morning. <laughs> so just, it's just like me and my intermittent fasting. It's like, I only had one meal today. You know, like. So we've been doing that for hundreds of years. Yeah. He said, oh. Yeah, okay. But that's good. I mean, the thing is, it's, it's not about judgments. And that's right. we all learn in different yeah. cycles. And so I think when we learn that this is so good for you mm. and so such a wonderful thing can happen mm. to your body when you're going through those kinds of, st- these are like good kinds of stresses, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like the heat and then the cold. Yep. Well, and I think too, when you discover it for yourself, mm-hmm. it's more meaningful, right? If somebody said like, oh, you should go jump in the ocean when it's cold on New Year's Day, or <laughs> you should take a cold plunge, or you should, you know, you need to look at the sunlight in the morning. like that's cool and if i do it it's like okay oh yeah yeah you know a great podcast told me i should do that and i did it and it was cool but if you discover it for yourself Mm -hmm. like wow that was amazing i can't wait to do that again yeah you know so awesome any final thoughts and how can people get a hold of you to learn more about cybersecurity training you know, I don't use a ton of social media. I notice. Except for <laughs> LinkedIn. Okay. That I do. Mm-hmm. And all of us do. Our entire team yeah. uses it. And I'd say from business mm. purposes, mm. I would implore that we all use it a lot. I've made so many great connections on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. We've had great business leads lead to business opportunities mm-hmm. so they can reach me on linkedin okay 
They can find me, Jonathan Rossi. Mm-hmm. They can look for Saya. If you do a search, they'll find something that we've yeah. published, an event that we're yeah. produced, and then it'll eventually connect back to me okay. or this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'll put it in the show notes too. Yeah. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a million. It's been fun. Oh, it's just, we can probably go until the morning and watch oh, yeah. the sun rise. But that, yeah, that's, yeah. that won't be good because this, this trip to Japan has been great. It's just that my time schedule, because right now yeah. it's, I think, probably midday mm. back home. Mm. And so I'm getting a lot of emails and calls. And as you, yeah. I don't know if you can catch all the, the pings. But I see the screen light up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's... And I'm supposed to go to bed right now, but then I'm getting calls and <laughs> clients and engaging with us and saying yeah. all these things, but I, I need to go to bed. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that's the only thing about traveling to the other side of the planet right. is this. It interrupts that flow, that mm-hmm. alignment again, because you want to be going to sleep when the sun is setting and then getting up when the sun is rising. Yep. But it's hard to do that when I'm, my body still is on a circadian rhythm of yep. of california or the u.s yeah. yeah and then i come here and i have to switch you know it's like 16 yep. 17 hour difference and then in a few days i go back and i have to go backwards again mm-hmm. and so i mean there's ways that I can adjust there's lots of good yeah, yeah. good kind of hacks out there yeah jet lag some... is real though you know yeah yeah jet yeah. lag is real and i find it easier to come from la to tokyo than tokyo to la oh yeah I, I always took a night flight singapore air was great you know mm-hmm. they're really good you know and you land here you go to sleep that night you wake up the next day and go to work when i go to america i have a hard time adjusting oh yeah for some reason well you end up having one long day a very long day right because you essentially have that day <laughs> twice yeah because when you land in the states you have that day again mm. so if you go to sleep when you get there mm-hmm. then you're in some ways extending that jet lag and, and yeah because you you get you leave like my flight leaves in the evening on singapore airlines mm. around 5 or 6 p.m okay and then i land in la mm-hmm. i think it's like 11 a.m that oh same gosh. day and so then what do i do like do i mm-hmm. do i go to sleep no because if i go to bed what am i going to do i'm going to wake up at 8 or 9 p.m. Yeah. Or am I going to be able to sleep all the way until like 6 a.m. the next day? Mm. Probably not likely. Or so you power through. Or you stay up all day. Yep. And, but you had a flight and you yeah. landed and that day was supposed to be over, but then you land and now you're starting another starting. day. And so <laughs> it's, it's a little tricky yeah. and it's for me as well because once i get there i have the family and have the kids so i can't yeah. just say, oh, i'm gonna go to sleep like no it's playtime uh, yeah yeah it's, for them got, it is yeah daddy's got, finally home yeah let's go and have fun let's go run yeah. around and so i just took an 11 hour flight and i i haven't slept and i had this whole day and it's like mm. the second day again and mm. no, 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 let's go play and I'm like all right let's go so and I, it's a different date yeah like, or, or it's the same date it's like the <laughs> the time change is difficult enough when you're here and your family calls you mm-hmm. you know but it's also a different date mm-hmm. so a lot of times like when it when it turned to 2023 i told my family like hey you're gonna love 2023 i've already been there yeah yes <laughs> yeah oh i i want to leave with saya is the name of my daughter ah 
that you don't know. I don't think you, maybe you do know. I, I might've known that. Yeah. 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 So she was born and she was here during one of our events that uh, we had a few years ago in Japan. Okay. And that was part of our exploratory you know, learning yeah. and researching yeah, about yeah. cybersecurity. And then she was there. She was very young at that time. She's still very young. I met her. We, we met at uh, you have. Shinjuku Gyoen, yeah. the park. Yeah. It was cherry blossom cherry season. Cherry blossom right? season. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's her. And that was the first time I met your wife because when mm. I met you, you were single. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Wow. And Saya is, is her. I mean, okay. her, I mean, the company, people yeah, know yeah. Saya and they go, what, what is Saya? I don't, yeah. I don't understand. It's a cool name. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice, it has a lot of different meaning in different countries. Here oh. in Japan, it's a, it's a, a name of a, a girl's name, right? Yeah, yeah. But in other countries, it means like, I think I might be wrong, like light or like in, mm. in India, Singapore, they all have, I think it means my in Malaysia. I, I, but nonetheless, it's, it's yeah. a very nice sounding mm. Word. It, it, it kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. yeah. So. Saya. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for a lot of people to say it. It's, it's, mm -hmm. there are a lot of Japanese brands that people say wrong. You know? <laughs> but um, yeah, that's another podcast or maybe a YouTube video. But Saya is a very easy word to remember. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's got a nice, it's got a pleasant sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's no like hard consonants. It's Saya. Yeah. One word. Yep. Yeah. So. Nice. Size the company, and uh, I'll put a link in the description of this podcast, and and uh, people can find you and uh, yeah, and come out to Japan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're gonna have another summit. Actually, our next event mm -hmm. is in California. Ah. Okay. So Tracy, if you want to come out to it, it's in I think in March. Okay. In Monterey. Okay. Monterey, California. Yeah, Monterey. And then I should be back here again after that. Okay. Yeah. Is that a summit or a business meeting? or a All of the above, yeah. Okay. I'm putting together, as we speak, a couple of events here in mm. Japan. So I'm going to okay. be doing something. I'm talking well, to a couple of people. And I should mention, and we're both getting tired, but I should mention, you put on like mm -hmm. first class events too. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Like, those, we, those are amazing. Yeah, they're, Every single event has been amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, we always make sure that the events mm. are experiences. Uh, so they're, we call them retreats in the U.S. Yeah. And we always put them at resorts, five-star resorts. Uh, and people come and bring their families. We, we have cooking. We mm -hmm. have outings where people get to go and do things and get to bond yeah, yeah. and break bread. Yeah. And it's the same thing here so in Tokyo. Like, that's why we host it here at the Mandarin Oriental. Yeah. It's but first class. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a true first class experience and people have a good time. And I get the question sometimes. I remember one guy came up to me and said, who pays for this? <laughs> and I, I wasn't sure what to say to him. I thought, uh, I think I know the guy. Uh, I mean, he's a very generous person. Uh, and who pays for that? I mean, I remember he turned to me. He was like very, he couldn't, he's like, I don't get it. Like, I... I said, I don't either. I, I, don't, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. But we were talking about this when, when I first, when we first met today in the lobby or, or at the restaurant, and um, we were talking about uh, aligning yourself and, mm. you know, and the first class accommodations and how important it is to, you know, to uh, put that energy out there, you know. 
And so I think when, when people think of Saya and they think of you, they think of a first class event rather than we had paper plates and, you know. No, we, had, <laughs> no, it's, we don't look at things from a mindset of scarcity. Uh, it's an abundance, growth mindset. Yeah. And that's so important. And, and it's, it's, it's challenging because sometimes you have to worry about there are a lot of takers out there too. Right. They exist. So it's a balance. Like you can do events and because you, you do end up getting a few people over the years that we've met who are disruptive at some of the events because we open it up and we, we don't mm-hmm. necessarily charge people. We're not, we, yeah. we make it a fun, inclusive space. Mm-hmm. But with that comes also you know, certain types yep. that take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I, I usually just let it be. Because at yeah. the end of the day, when you're working with abundance mm-hmm. and the growth mindset, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because eventually they just fade away. Yeah. And the right people at the right alignment mm-hmm. come together. Yep. And opportunities flourish from that. Yeah. Because one of the themes in that last event that we did was about thriving. Mm-hmm. We talked about, I talked about the theme of thriving. Like, we come here together at, at this hotel, mm-hmm. this event. To, to help each other, to thrive. Yeah. You know, there's business opportunities to be had. Mm. There's people looking for work and we can connect. Yeah. There's so many people here coming for different things and mm. I feel great to connect all the people. Yeah. And, and with that kind good. of abundance mindset and mm. helping and giving, we receive a lot too. So it's a, it's a yeah. good interplay between having this posture of giving. Mm. And that's another thing I always, I always mm. like to focus on. Like when you have a mindset that's an abundant mindset. You're, you're always giving. You're, you're giving, but you're always in this place where it's not where you're thinking, I want to take, and what can I get out of this? It's, mm. it's, it's working to provide and facilitate. And mm. so I, and I've learned as I do more of that, the more actually wealth accumulates. Like you end up just all growing and becoming more yeah. abundant together. So It's a good way to do it. So the events are, are fun spaces for that. Yeah. They're always first class. So. Yeah, they're fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed this this podcast, man. This just conversation. Yeah, we know? try to end it. We keep going and going. I know. Right? Like fifteen minutes ago, I said one more thing, and I'll let you close. And like, <laughs> yeah, I won't air. say anything anymore. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. All right, buddy. All right.